And we are back on The Chosen Life. Do not adjust your sets. This is not a rerun. He is back for a second time. I'm The Chosen Lawyer, not the basketball player, but still an awesome guy, Mr. George Hill. George, welcome back to The Chosen Life. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, we're talking off air that our voices are almost gone. For me, it's a lot of recordings this week in podcast land. What's your excuse? Uh, my excuse is that um, uh, I have no excuse for it. I was on a long deposition today. There you go. For legal talk, because I'm the chosen lawyer, you do not have to talk about that. Next question. <laughs> you like that? So your alter ego, Mr. George Hill, is still going strong with the Milwaukee Bucks, averaging 4.9 points a game. You guys still do not keep in contact, I understand? No, we don't. And I mean, you know, I'm disappointed at the 4.9 because his career is actually 10.7. But, uh, you know, I'm quite impressed that he's still in net worth of 30 million bucks. So, you know what? He was worth something at some time. 4.9 is a little shady, though. What are your... He is getting older. He's getting older. Well, sorry to tell him, but you and I are getting younger. So, um, sucks to be him, I guess. Now... What are the chances of you seeing Mr. George Hill, uh, alter ego, receiving a ring this year? You think it's going to happen for the Milwaukee Bucks? I, I don't know, man. That's a, that's a tough one. I'd rather the Raptors get it, but, uh, you know, i got to stay true to the home team. As we are based in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, for those of you. And George is there in these, uh, the general manager of Aaronwood Ford. Your poppy is covering that a little bit. You're so Canadian, by the way, with your poppy. I love that. That's right. That's right. Yes. There you go. Can you see it a little bit better now? We can see it a little better. And we see the uh, Mustang behind you. Yep. Shelby GT500. Amazing. How is life at Ford? Life at Ford is uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Well, today's episode, for all you people that are curious about cars, love cars, reading about cars, there's been a lot of car talk, a lot of speculation, a lot of news reports. George, in today's episode, we're just going to jump right into it. We are going to set the record straight. We're going to get it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. And we're going to talk about what is reality in the world of cars. Well, I have a whole bunch of stuff we're going to discuss today. Today's a lot of topics, so we're just going to jump right in. This talk about chip shortages. What's the deal with that? Is that still a thing? Yes, it is. Chip shortages are still a thing. So at Ford has eased up quite a bit from where it was before. Uh, however, at our Nissan store that uh, I also run, the chip shortages are, are a little bit uh, more prevalent there. So, you know, obviously the chip suppliers are different. So for a lot of the Japanese manufacturers, it's the Singapore chip plant that had a fire where two thirds of their chip machines were destroyed in that fire. So this is where it's problematic for Nissan and Honda and, and stuff like that. And you're seeing less and less inventory because the chip problem is more prevalent. Ford has been able to secure more chips and uh, we've been able to get uh, a lot of vehicles landing compared to before. So, you know, for us, we have a very large factory order bank, the way that we've run our, our business for the last little while. And uh, consistently, we're seeing a certain amount of vehicles landing now month after month that are being produced fully with chips and everything in it. But it's still not to, you know, obviously pre-pandemic levels. But it's, uh, it's night and day from where it was, let's say, four months ago. So from the car manufacturing end of it, why don't they go and build more chip machines? Why don't they go to other manufacturers? There must be other options out there. Like since this fire happened, 
It feels like there's been a chip shortage throughout. Why are we not seeing more producers of these chips, George? So for a few reasons, actually, I watched an interesting video on that, which I can share with you in the future. Please. But uh, basically what it is, is that there are very few chip suppliers out there. So a chip machine takes a very long time to make. So to create a chip machine, it takes approximately about two years to create that machine. So by the time that machine is made, it's almost obsolete and they start producing, they're making ones that are going to make more chips. The investment for chip machines is very, very huge. So, you know, I was of the same belief until I started looking into it a little bit more that, hey, you know what, GM and Ford and all the car manufacturers should get together and they should make their own chip plant because if they're going to lose $100 million because of lack of inventory, they might as well both put together $100 million each and create this chip plant. The problem is it is, it is $700 million to create a chip machine and to have a lot of those things running to produce the chips. So a lot of the plants are running at full capacity and they still have not been able to get to that level. So it was actually really interesting to look at the, um, at the documentary that I saw. And it was one of the general managers that ran the plant, uh, the, the factory, the chip plant factory in Singapore, discussing about how long the machines took to get what, it, what they need to do it. They actually have like a, a clean room almost that you wear hazmat suits in there because you don't want to get the chips dirty to, to, to corrupt them. There's so many things it has to go through like a, uh, almost like a light process to clean them. And it creates it on this disc and every disc has a certain amount of chips in there and they can only produce a certain amount every single day. But the fact that you lost two thirds of your uh, machinery due to a fire, there goes two thirds of your production. So it slowed down a lot of stuff in the world. So let me understand something, George, for the novice out there that says, okay, I'd like to understand this uh, because, you know, there were lots of cars before these chips, right? Back in the day. So in today's cars, if you do not have these chips going in the car, what is not able to function in the vehicle? Uh, many things. So let me give you an example. A base F-150 has modules. So if we're talking about just, you know, a strippy one with you, let's call it roll down windows, air conditioning, uh, the usual stuff that you'll get with a base F-150. Forget about, you know, power seats and things like that. You'll have 27 computer modules that run that vehicle. And the more things that you put into that vehicle, be it heated seats, cooled seats, power seats, um, uh, GPS, your chargers. Yeah. GPS chargers for, for your lay flat wireless charging. Power right? sunroof. They all power sunroof. Absolutely. They all have a module that has a chip in it. So you can have a lot more of these modules running that require chips to produce those things. So for example, Porsche has been building their vehicles without the wireless charging unit because it requires a chip. Dodge has not been building a lot of, of their vehicles. For example, Laramie's they're decontenting them. So for example, your passenger seat is uh, not powered. Ford is decontenting some of their stuff. So some of their options like Blue Cruise will be installed at a later date because it requires a chip to run that. So the manufacturers are trying to make do with taking out some of the options that come standard in those vehicles so that they can actually deliver a finished unit to people due to the shortage still being there. But I guess back in the day, even when you had, let's say, power seats, power door lock, power windows, were there chips back then in those cars? There were, but they're different. There were different chips. So 
from my understanding mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when you when you look at what it was previously a lot of the stuff in the vehicle was very manual so in the old days you know a lot of people did work on their vehicles where they're like oh i want to change my brakes on the driveway today if you wanted to change the brakes on an f-150 or an explorer or an escape or a nissan rogue you actually have to reset the sensors in the brakes for them to work properly so you need that specific specialized tool to do so otherwise they won't work things are not as mechanical as they used to be in terms of you know the the really base mechanical stuff there's always an electrical and computerized component to it now so it makes things that much more complicated and that's why i always tell customers hey buy a warranty because the vehicle could last you may not have a problem with it but if you got to replace a module it's not going to be cheap so you might as well get that peace of mind and buy a warranty to make sure you're taking care of all those electrical components that the average person no longer has the ability to replace themselves. It feels like if you're, if you have a Tesla, for example, and you want to fix your Tesla, you have to go to the geek squad in Best Buy. They're more equipped to be able to fix your car than to go to the uh, oil loop place, but uh, tongue in cheek, of course. Yes, but of course. Sitting in that car, I felt like the car is being driven by an iPad. Like it's literally all electronics. There's nothing really mechanical about it versus let's say an older car. And I know I love my muscle cars and you come and there's an engine, a transmission. That's it. It's simple. Cars ain't that simple anymore. No, definitely not. And if you, you know, looking at the, at the <clears throat> electric vehicle model, a lot of the uh, updates and things like that are being done over the air. So in all Ford vehicles, they have the ability to have Ford pass set up. And you set up your system updates in there so it does it for you while you're connected to over the air or to Wi-Fi. And it allows lots of things that need to be updated, especially for the electric cars, to make sure that these new software updates are going in there for optimal performance. So there's lots of things to consider. There's lots of there's lots and lots of technology these days. I drove down to Detroit last week to uh, go look at our um we export vehicles to the US. So I went to go visit and meet the people at the auction. And I was driving an F-150 Platinum mm -hmm. on the way down there. And I turned on their version of, let's call it AI, if you want to call it that, self-driving. And it's called Blue Cruise. So you set your cruise and they have so many miles mapped out based on the navigation system where the, it tells you the way the road goes. And I could sit back very comfortably now, you know, it kind of freaks you out a little bit, but I can sit back very comfortably and it turned to the curve of the road on the highway and it kept things steady. It slowed down, it sped up. So, you know, they're, they're, get, they're getting close, but uh, it's still something where you don't really always feel too comfortable to let go and let it do it on its own, right? How many miles per hour is it going? We were doing, I don't know, I was set at about 120K. Kilometers. So, so, I, so I was speeding a little bit within but acceptable levels. When you have self-driving, can you actually teach the car to cut people off, pass, honk the horn? If they're going slow, it doesn't do that, right? No, no, it does not. So, so basically, it, it keeps a, a radar distance between you and, the, and the, the car in front of you, if there is one in front of you, and it'll, it'll, it'll modulate your speed based on how they're going. So if they decided to slow down, it would slow down, and then you have it set for a certain level. So you know, 117 kilometers an hour, you have it set for if that person speeds up, you get up to the 117, that's the max it's going to take you to. But it will continue to adjust based on how that person in front of you is driving. 
And if there's no one in front of you driving, it's just going to be at the 117 the way you set it and it keeps driving for you. What if somebody cuts off the lane or comes at you? Does it know how to react? It will slow, it will slow down 100%. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. So let me ask you this much. So with the car shortages, there's so many people I know that are looking to buy new cars and they're like, I'm on a waiting list and what's going on. Is it all related to this chip shortage at the end of the day? If the chips were there, would you, is your feeling that we'd have regular production or is there more to it? To meet the uh, there's more to it. So for some of the manufacturers, the most, most car manufacturers have parts suppliers, right? So, you know, alternators are supplied by a few manufacturers out there. Uh, airbags. So I don't know if you remember the, the, the airbag recall that affected a whole bunch of, um, of, of uh, manufacturers across North America, it was called the, the, the Tanaka airbag. No, no. And, and basically they made airbags for Ford and certain things. They made airbags for Honda. They made them for Dodge. They made them for various manufacturers. So what you have is you have a bunch of parts suppliers that supply to the manufacturers. So what's been happening with a lot of these parts suppliers is that they have shortages there as well, be it raw materials or labor uh, capacity. So that's also been slowing down the vehicles from being produced. So I'll give you an example. Ford had a shortage of Ford emblems. Read about that, yes. Right. And they did not want to release a lot of the vehicles without it. Now, however, we've received some F-150s with like blacked out Ford emblems right now, and they will replace them as they get more because they wanted to make sure they could deliver uh, the vehicle to customers. Uh, so it's like, you know, when you watch the movies and you can clearly see it's a Ford uh, vehicle and it's got that blacked out emblem on there, that's what they put on on a few of the iterations of, of vehicles just to get them delivered to the customer. And when they receive the proper blue oval, uh, they'll bring it back and uh, and they'll have it replaced as part and parcel of it. But that was one of the slowdowns as well. At Nissan, some wiring harnesses for some of the uh, Pathfinders and the Frontiers. Uh, there was a shortage of wiring harnesses that needed to be connected to the to the rear tailgate and to some uh, power liftgate operations, and that created a, a little bit of uh, some problems. F-150s black pack where you're getting the wheels and things blacked out on there. There's a shortage of the wheels available, so they couldn't build build those for a while. So that's how part and parcel there is a delay, but it's exacerbated by the fact that it's just not only the chips, it's other things that are going on to the vehicle that they have to. Re rely on that parts manufacturer for and they're not able to deliver as well yeah i figured it was mostly the chip shortage and that created it but it's you know i hear people in all industries whether they're ordering toilets or or uh, raw materials like wood to build a house or getting the roof done or getting uh, blinds installed time and time again there's shortage 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 and it seems like at the end of the day if the materials are there a lot of it comes down to the labor and I didn't think of it that way, but so you have a situation in these factories where in fact you have the materials, but you don't have enough labor to go around. Is that happening in the car industry as well? Uh, it, it is happening. Uh, I know for Ford, for example, when they didn't have a lot of parts and you have an assembly line happening and you didn't have the parts for there, but you have the labor available. What happens is that they got to shut down the plant because they can't build anything because you're relying on those pieces of parts coming down the line and they're not there. I know from a dealership perspective that uh, labor, especially technicians and, and, and things like that, we have a shortage out there of them. They're not available. Is it that people don't want to go into that 
or is it that we have an aging population where they were willing to do that work before and due to the changes in the world people decided well you know what maybe it's time for me to retire so you have a lot of exiting people that were doing those jobs that you could rely on in the past look at it in the restaurant industry as well right you can't really get cooks line cooks and servers and things like that so it's impacting lots and lots of places and uh you know, it's a, it's a bit of a struggle to find uh, to find good and available labor. And the fact that we didn't have immigration for a while, at least in Ontario, I know in the Atlantic provinces, they continue to have immigration. Uh, so I visited PEI recently and I visited one of the Nissan stores out there. Mm-hmm. And the general manager, I was letting him know that I, I manage a store as well, another Nissan store, and I wanted to see his build. And he told me he had no labor problems because they continued to have immigration coming through the Atlantic provinces because there's a shortage of people there. So he had a full complement of staff where sometimes I'm struggling to find people to do what we need to do here. And then, you know, it, it makes things, it compounds everything down the line because people have to wait longer. The wait times to get your vehicle in are longer. You get dissatisfied people. People are not patient anymore, right? Were they ever? So, I think there was a small period of time where there was understanding. Yeah, I think that window was right? closing. And, and that, that window was expired. Yes. Right. And, and uh, you know, and I get it. I totally get it. So with where people are, you know, saying the economy, you know, we're going through a blip, it's doom and gloom, it's going to go on forever, whatever, you know, you, you hear so much to the media, obviously. And it's one thing when you read it in the papers or if you actually read papers or online or you watch it on the news, it's another thing when you're actually in the trenches. So what I'm hearing is across the board from, from cars, people buying all sorts of cars, cars demand is there, they're on waiting lists. It seems to be pretty much almost any car you really want, you have to go on some sort of waiting list. So I have a two-parter question for you. The first part is this style of being on a waiting list, do you see that continuing into the indefinite future? So I will say that, um, you know, definitely at our stores, we still have people purchasing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're doing quite a few factory orders still for people that are purchasing these days. So there has not been as much of an impact as I thought there would have been with inflation and things like that. People are still willing to spend their money in their pairs. Um, but, you know, will there be will there be waiting lists for the future? Potentially. What a lot of the manufacturers are going to do, and I'll give you an example of what Ford is going to be doing. They're going Please. to be saying, great, we want you to to customize your vehicle. And if you want to customize your vehicle a certain way, you factory order it and you get exactly what you want. But if you want to get something quickly and it's in stock, it will be a certain specification that is going to be on lots. So I'll give you an example. Please. You want to drive a platinum F-150. You want to have it with the 22 inch wheels. You want to have it with all the you know, heated and cool seats and life flat and the life flat seats and things like that. And the, and the workspace, the interior workspace, you're going to have to factory order that. But if you wanted to get a base 500 a Lariat that comes with 20 inch wheels and navigation standard, no roof, it would be available on the lot. Now that may not be the actual spec, but it's my understanding that they're going to take some of the higher selling base specs and allow them to be in stock. So what you will find is that dealers on average will not be holding as much stock as they used to. And I think we've proven over the last little while that we don't have to. Um, And a lot of the availability, if you want customization, you have to wait on it. That's the direction that the manufacturers appear to be going. And 
I honestly personally don't think it's the, the wrong way uh, because what would happen, especially for Ford dealerships, is that we'd have to order you know, 160 different iterations of trucks because you could customize them so much. Now it's going to be a standard six or seven ones that you'll find on the lot. And if you want certain customization, you order it. If you want to get it in that funky color with some kind of technology that, that the average person does not use as much. I think it's the right way. There are definitely business positives running a dealership for that because you're not going to have as much inventory. Your floor plan costs in terms of the interest for holding vehicles is going to be less. Um, the risk for theft and vandalism and, uh, you know, just lot damage is going to be reduced. You don't have to rent as many storage spots. At one time, we had three and four storage spots that we had to rent because we were carrying 1,200 new vehicles. Now we're down to two. So it's going to become a lot more efficient for dealerships if they plan it right to run themselves more efficiently, offer better service, do things quicker, but still have the customization and give a good experience to the customer moving forward. So let's say the typical situation where let's say everything was functioning capacity in all the factories with all the suppliers. And that's one of the funny things that I learned in business school is <clears throat> people don't realize that depending on which the manufacturers are, some, some, some car manufacturers, their cars are completely Frankenstein. There's very little, some car places are doing in-house. They're getting this part from this place, this part from that place. And they're literally Frankenstein together. And it amazes me how these cars even work together because it almost seems like they no two parts come from the same place or some do more in-house or a combination of it. So I find that part very interesting. But let's say, take any typical car that you go and you say, I want to customize it, come down to the dealership. And I'm saying, you know what? I like this color. I like this specs and I want to do this. From beginning to end, if everything was producing a capacity and we're back to normalcy, so to speak, when do you think that they would see delivery when we get to the point that we're actually getting to customize our cars and getting them factory ordered? So previously, if you wanted to factory order a vehicle, even with a ton on the lot, because you had some people that we would have to do that for planning. They're getting out of their lease. They're, you know, have a certain period of time that their lease is coming to an end. And we pre-planned. So they're like, you know what? Why don't you keep, stay in your car. Let's factory order something for you. Let's protect the incentives today. And when your lease comes to an end, you have no more payments owing and we put you in a brand new one. So we used to do that quite a bit. It used to take anywhere between uh, let's say six to 12 weeks for a vehicle to show up. Then there were times where I would order a vehicle and if I got the cycle right, it'd show up three weeks later because you just caught it on the cycle of when they were going to pull the vehicles, bin them and, and build them, right? But the typical wait time was anywhere between six to 12 weeks, uh, you know, 2019 and, and, and previous. Who knows what it will be for the future, but that's what it used to be, even with, with stuff on the lot. Will there be an extended time for the future? Maybe, because if you don't have labor to do as much as, as you were previously, you're going to have to have that. You're going to have to have a longer wait time. But typically right now, with all the shortages and things like that, depending on how specific the vehicle is, it's taking anywhere between 8 to 12 months and sometimes longer. Yeah, I hear that across the board. And... It's also, though, from a business cycle perspective, the old model, and we won't talk badly about the competition, certainly, but I can tell you there's an interesting interview with, uh, I believe it was the head of GM, if I'm not mistaken. I know it was GM that talked about it. And I knew, for example, almost any car, any GM dealership you would go to, you could find 
20, 30 of every model that you want to buy. They're just oodles. And there's like, they, they rent out fields of this stuff. People don't understand the fields that you have to store this stuff because you get the shipments in, but this stuff isn't selling right away. And then all of a sudden you got to discount the product. You got to offer incentives, employee pricing, whatever you got to do, right? And at some point GM stood up and said, hey, you know what? This is, this is nuts. Like right now we're making more money than ever. We're carrying less inventory than ever. This is making a lot of sense. And people are feeling good when they're doing the reservation. They get to get the car they want. And, and I, I, I think that's where it's going. I can't see that we're going to come back to the old days, George. When I come to you and say, I want an F-150, and you're going to tell me, okay, you got every single model here and every single color. I just don't see real estate. But also, I notice a lot of manufacturers are offering a lot of different colors. A lot of, it's like you can customize these things. So no two cars ever the same. Like... The if you have the almost any manufacturer, if you sit and look at the options list, you could be spending two hours customizing your car to exactly the way you want it. There's like everything is conceivable feature. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, there was so much aftermarket stuff that the manufacturers said, hey, you can get it from us. We can prepare it for you. And hey, you don't have to go somewhere else to do that. Yeah, you're right. So I will say one thing you talked about. Let's not talk bad about the competition. That's one thing I never do. Because I believe everybody has a has a positive impact uh, of of what they do and, and their craft, so you know you won't hear me saying anything bad about any, any of the other manufacturers because I respect what they do and you know to each their own. If somebody likes to drive a Dodge or somebody likes to drive a GM over a Ford, all the power to you, right? Mm -hmm. um, but yes, you're correct. Uh, a lot of the, a lot of the options lists and stuff like that you see online, it can take you forever to get through. I personally believe that it will not go back to the way it was before uh, with all of the stuff on, with all the inventory on, on ground. Um, because when you think about it, GM, Ford, whoever it is, you're mass producing and you produce a ton of it. What happens to the, the manufacturer then when they want to push sales? So let's imagine that GM has 200,000 cars on the ground in Canada and things aren't moving. Historically, what the manufacturer would do is that they'd say, great, you know what? Let's throw on a sale and let's put a $10,000 delivery allowance from the manufacturer on there because, hey, these vehicles are starting to get older in the year and it incentivizes people to purchase the vehicles. As of late, the manufacturers are not putting any delivery allowances on the vehicles. So that's a cost savings to the manufacturer by not having to build so many vehicles because ultimately what was happening is that they'd have to discount it anyway in their contest and in their contest and incentives budget because there was an influx of vehicles available. So now people are paying it, but they're not getting the discount that they were before. But the manufacturer didn't have to give away that money. So they're focusing on keeping their people, keeping at the right level, running a little bit more efficiently. And, um, and it does save them a lot of money because Realistically, if you had to put delivery allowances on stuff right now, if you had an influx of it and you had labor shortages, you're going to find yourself with a huge amount of expense. It'll be very hard to turn a profit. And with buyer habits the way they are, when we consider this reservation system and the weight versus having all the inventory there, it's interesting because during the pandemic, you know, people, we don't go there much, but people said, you know what, they're going to close malls because everybody's just going to buy from Amazon and they want to order from their home and they can forget it. Retailers are done. Everything's going to be online. Everybody's going to buy from the computer and their apps. It's over. George, when I go on the weekends, any shopping mall, they're packed. There's 
You can't find parking. People are still buying in person. And I think that in every industry, everybody has considered that. So let me ask you, from that perspective, people going and customizing their cars on the computer, where do you see the evolution? Because I love the car industry personally. And I love looking at cars. I love going to the car dealership, meeting a salesperson, building a relationship, knowing that's my person. They got my back. I can ask them questions. I like that in-person thing. I, I hate ordering from the computer, not the way I wanted it. Got to return it back versus seeing it in person. Where do you see the role of online versus car dealership in person and the role of selling cars in the future? So, you know, it, it, it's, it's a tough one to answer, but realistically... You don't right think now, I was going to be easy on you, did you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think things like Amazon, people have flocked to it a little bit because of the convenience in certain products and the ease of returns and things like that. But let's face it, I, I don't think that you know, you or me would be buying shirts on there because I wouldn't be sure if it's going to fit me right, <laughs> right? But but if if you're going to buy a broom or you're going to buy, you know, Oreo cookies because they got a sale on there, which I've done a few times for Amazon and it's convenient, it gets delivered to your house, it saves people time. So that's what the, the allure is about that piece of it. But you'll be hard pressed to find people who are going to buy, let's call them higher priced items, online. Now, Tesla's proven that you can buy electric cars online. Ford and Nissan are moving to that model where you will be buying it online. But part of the reason why they want you to buy it online is the preservation of the price to make sure that that the whole thing we discussed about delivery allowances and this and that doesn't come into play because the demand is there. So I understand why they're doing it. However, dealers will still be involved. Because as much as you can research stuff online and there's lots of information and I can tell you the customers that come in here know more about the cars than some of my sales guys and can educate them. The fact is that they still like that personal touch to make sure they have someone who comes in here. If they have a problem in the future, they have someone who they can contact, right? Because Tesla, if you use them as a model, they didn't want to have store locations, but what has happened over the last while Tesla has evolved. They're trying to buy locations because they need a service component. And yes, people say, oh, you're not supposed to service electric cars. That's not necessarily true because there are certain things you'll need to do, it, do to it. Your cabin filters need replacing. Wiper blades will need replacing. Tires definitely need replacing. They're going to need to be certain upgrades that cannot probably be done over the air that needs to be done at, a, at, a, at an actual physical location. So I think that a physical location will still be required well into the future and People believing that the dealership model is going to go away, I think is a misnomer uh, because there's really no other good way to make people comfortable to do it. The people that are on the fringe will be the ones that will say, great, I don't want to deal with a person and I'm going to buy my Tesla online and I hope to never have to deal with someone. That's the minority. The majority of people, even though coming to a dealership is hated for some people, they like it. For us at Ironwood, over 60% of our customers at our Ford store are repeat and referral business. That says something. People want to come back here and deal with you. I mean, I've been here for almost 16 years. I'm coming up on my fifth year as a general manager here. And I still have customers that insist on, if they're coming in here, that they want to at least say hello to me or make sure that I review the deal for them because they trust me. You're not going to get that from a computer. You don't get that person that's going to call you, take a call on a Sunday. I have a customer and she just purchased a Raptor from us and somebody tried to steal it. 
she called me Sunday morning saying, Hey, I'm concerned. Can you help me out? What can we put in, 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 in the vehicle to prevent it from being stolen? So I met her at the dealership Sunday night and Sunday I stored night. her car. I stored her car overnight for her because she was scared they were going to come back and try and take it. And I had a theft deterrent device installed in it, which I'll tell you what it is. Uh, it's a really interesting concept. So, you know, maybe it's something you want to look at doing. Uh, had it installed for her the following day on the Monday so that she had a little bit of peace of mind. If she bought the car online, who's she going to do? Is she going to ask Google for that? No, no chance. <laughs> so what's the, right? what is the device? Please tell us. So it's actually called a Sprint Booster. Okay. What it does is that it regulates your throttle body and it locks your electronic acceleration in place. It also is used in performance applications. So you can put a little bit of extra boost where it gives you a little bit more boost in your car. But ultimately, it can be used as a security device where you can lock it with a code. And even if they try to take the device off, it continues to keep the accelerator locked. So they can't move the car. You'll be able to start it, but you can't move it. So it's a, something interesting that I've been researching for a while, and I've tested it now on, on three vehicles, hers, being, hers and her son's being the first two that I threw it in because she wanted something that was easy to use. And, uh, and obviously, she trusted what I thought about it. And it was... It was pretty cool. So that's a new product that uh, that you should probably look at. When I get my future Ferrari, I'll be talking right. to you about that one a thousand Perfect. percent. That's an uh, order, right? How long is that taking? Uh, we're working on it. It's going to take a little bit of time. <laughs> I, I definitely want to get it before I'm 70. That is a thousand percent my goal. Perfect. Um, I've but also, the problem is you can't get into it at that point. Now, you and I also talk. Uh, we won't go there. We will. <laughs> if I do yoga, I will. Um, we talk about used cars a lot and it's funny because take lawyers and take car dealerships. You know, I hate lawyers. I hate car dealerships. They all rip me off, but when they need you, you're the best friend on the planet. And it's funny. And I tell people, I don't do litigation law. I close real estate deals. I close corporate deals. I'm here to help you. I'm your friendly lawyer. And on the same token of it, if you're going to go buy a used car and I challenge anybody that's ever gone through this experience, you find that unicorn. The guy or girl or man or woman, he, they, she, them, that went and bought a vehicle brand new from the dealer, came back to the same dealer every time they got their oil change, every time they needed any kind of maintenance done, they got the whole history on their Carfax. Guess what? They're going to get top dollar for their used car because you know the history and you know where it got done. True or false, George? 100%. I mean, transparency is key. So yeah, you talk about how car salespeople and lawyers aren't, aren't well-liked. And you're right. They, when they definitely need you, you are their best friend. But I think that, you know, I look at other industries, for example, where there's no regulation. And, and I mean, the, the car industry is heavily regulated now to ensure that things that happened in the late 80s and early 90s don't, don't rear their ugly head anymore. And, and, you know, I can say unequivocally that I've dealt with very honest people in the car business. I have lots of honest employees here who who are here to take good care of their customers and look out for their needs. Right. So I can, I can definitely say that, but uh, getting back to, to your point. Yes, absolutely. Things like Carfax, very, very transparent. Uh, part of, of the car business now is that you have to be transparent. If you're going to be doing anything with anyone, having the tools and features and the ability to, to look like a professional goes a long way. Now, I mean, listen, there are some stores, some body shops that don't report, so it is possible you could have a, a clean Carfax um, and, and there might have been body work done on a, on a vehicle. But, 
you know, there are very simple ways to check that if you're looking at a vehicle. I'll tell you really quickly, 30 seconds. Please. You know, rubbing, rubbing your finger along the seams. If the seams feel, um, you know, like glass, you know that it's, that it's pretty good or they've done a good job of repairing it. If it's ever been sprayed, it'll feel like a light sandpaper because there's overspray there. So that's, that's one of the things. Look for color variations. Look for something they call orange peel. So orange peel looks literally like an orange peel. And you'll see that, you know, maybe there was body work done there. But, I mean, most places repair vehicles well. A lot of times, if you see an accident of, say, $8,000 on the Carfax, sometimes $2,500 of that was the headlight, the cost of the headlight. So it may not even have been a severe accident because, you know, if you have a, a headlight that has the radar in it that runs the Blue Cruise, it's an expensive item. So, you know, do your due diligence, look over the vehicle, have it inspected by someone if you are uh, buying a used car and, and have them look over it for you to make sure that's good. Because, you know, at the end of the day, caveat emptor, right? Always. Buy everywhere. And, and you still have to look at the tools that you have available to you. Carfax is definitely one of them, but nothing, nothing, nothing replaces taking it for a drive, getting it checked out, looking at the panels yourself so you get that feeling of comfort when you're buying it and you know that we've done that you know in the past with some of the unicorns that you found right we took the time to make sure that they were well inspected so that you were happy with the purchase you were making i was i was blown away with one of your mechanics walking me through one of the vehicles the little details they look at like it's amazing and if you're interested in cars at all when you have a mechanic you know you trust and they bring you over into the shop they point you out stuff and they teach you. You walk away with education. It's really nice to know what you're driving. So I always tell people, don't be afraid to ask those questions and see if they will answer it for you. And your staff's always been amazing with me that way. Now, looking again to the future beyond the role of car dealerships and how people are going to be buying, George, people will not stop talking about electric cars. And it's not going away, obviously. And we see more and more cars are going off into the sunset. And every country... And car manufacturers setting these magical gears, and that's it. We're going to close down gas stations, and, and gas burning cars are going to go away, and oil is going to go away, and we're all going electrical. In North America and beyond, are we at the point that electric cars are the norm? And when do you think we're going to be at the norm of electric cars? So I think I think that we're further away than most people think, and 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 what most media outlets are telling you, because the reality is this. People have more than one car in the household, right? So if you have a gas car and you have an electric car, you're doing your part for, you know, the environment by having the electric car. And most electric vehicles charge well. They have a good kilometer range until it gets a little cold and it cuts it in half, right? So preconditioning your vehicle ahead of driving, it's very, very important to make sure that you're not wasting your kilometers. A little tip for people. Um, but... You got to remember, we live in a Netflix society. People want everything right away. So even on a, on a fast charge, you can get about 80% on a fast charge, level three charger, depending on the amperage of the charger, you'll get 80% of your vehicle charge in about 45 minutes. So when your gas tank is empty and you go to the fuel station, it takes you, what, two and a half minutes to fill it from empty to full? I was going to say three, but sure. Right. <laughs> So, so this is what they need to strive to get to for it to become the norm, in my opinion. Now, I could be totally wrong because Ford is trying to build the hugest network of, um, of chargers in North America. George! Oh, the light just went off. He's back. Uh, the hugest network of, of, 
um, chargers in North America. Nissan is 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 spending significant amount, amounts of money on electrical vehicles, and they're going to be bringing out a lot of electric vehicles and new models. Ford is as well. Uh, as dealers, we have to make a significant uh, investment in our dealerships, both of them, to make sure that we're going to be moving forward with all the standards that are required for electrical. So, I mean, that train is moving and it won't stop. But to get to the point where it's going to be the law of diminishing returns for, uh, let's say, uh, internal combustion engines, I, I think we're probably 15 years away at least. 15 or 50? Of, 15 minimum. One five, 15, okay. Yeah. Just because there's so many infrastructure things that need to be done, right? Can the grid support it? So a lot of the questions, I went to a Ford presentation in Las Vegas back in September, and they talked about that because they talked about the investment that us as dealers had to make in our infrastructure to ensure that we're going to be accepting electric cars here as an offering at the, at the dealership, right? So they said that 2% of the grid is being used right now with the current amount of vehicles plugged in. And the reason why they believe, yeah, 2%. They believe that the capacity will be fine is because most people plug in their cars at night. So a lot of the commercial activities that are happening during the day are significantly diminished at nighttime, the same way you have off-peak hours. So therefore, it won't use up the grid as much. Fair statement, right? But that's assuming that the vehicles are being used only for recreational stuff. If you're going to be using electric vehicles for cabs all day long, if you're going to be using it for deliveries all day long, there's going to be a requirement to have those things plugged in throughout the day to recharge them. And maybe those things have not been taken into account as yet. When you look at rural, rural areas outside of the GTA, when you go up Northern Ontario and it's colder than it is in the GTA, the battery life may not be lasting as long because of the environmental factors that are available there. Did they think about that? There are lots of considerations and a lot of iterations that you have to take into account when you're looking at it because you ask any Northern Ontario person, how many of them are going to want to drive an electric car? They're like, I drive a pickup truck. It's four-wheel drive because we get a lot of snow. I throw sandbags in the back. Now you have all-wheel drive electric vehicles, but the clearance isn't there. If you get a whole bunch of snow, it, it may not clear it, right? Now, granted, you do have the F-150 Lightning. Great vehicle. One of the best electric vehicles I've driven. The thing is fast as ever and very impressive in what it does. But a full charge will take you roughly, let's say, 480 kilometers on a full charge. But in colder weather, unless you've conditioned it, that 480 becomes about 200 kilometers to the charge. The vehicle does regen, but if you don't drive it in regenerative mode, you're not getting the maximum effect out of it. There's so many considerations. Years ago, I met a, a gentleman who's responsible for doing the Canada grants for technology, and we were talking about... Um, self-driving vehicles and he brought up a lot of good points where he said listen you know self-driving is one of these things that manufacturers want to do google was trying to make a self-driving car if you go to las vegas there's self-driving vehicles driving on the road that you can rent right really cool to watch but he said to me think about it there's so many factors out there you got to look out for pedestrians you have to look out like game theory right you know when you go to business school and you talk about game theory that they assume that someone is a is being reasonable in their actions when they're faced with a, with opposition, right? It's the same thing. Who knows if somebody's dr driving reasonably? Who knows if they're, you know, on drugs or on alcohol or, you know, if they're raging because they got into 
an argument with a girlfriend. Like there are lots of reasons why somebody may be unreasonable. The person may be driving to get away from the police and artificial intelligence and the fact of self-driving may not be able to modify itself in those situations. The way that it works in the mountains versus regular altitude are, are, are not taken into account with that. So there's so many other factors that if we're going to be doing things with technology and, and, you know, electric vehicles, they got to think about all these things that come into play because there's so many variables and to get there, you almost have to think about everything to make sure that it won't create a problem for the, the general public. So I got a question for you, George. I just thought of a hypothetical. So somebody has a heart attack. They're in the back of the ambulance. They're rushing to the hospital. It's an electric ambulance and they're almost out of juice, but there's a power failure, George. And there's a power failure for 24 hours going in the city. They wiped out the power. That ambulance make it to the hospital? Depends how much range you had left. There's very little range right. left. You need, to, you need to charge right now. But, uh, it, 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 it'll, be, it'll be hard. You know, I mean, you remember when we had the blackout in Toronto years back and it crippled us. Right. Right. Those streetcars are sitting in the middle of the streets. And what are you going to do? Because there's no power. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how, I mean, I don't want to talk about doom and gloom, but, no, no. you know, we, we live in a we live in a pretty, pretty, uh, let's say, technology advanced uh, country. Mm-hmm. And things like our infrastructure is quite good for the amount of people that we have here. But the load and the stress that you put on it moving forward may impact performance. Who knows? Right. It's one of those things that you don't always necessarily know if, if, if that's going to be the case. But I sit down and I think about these things because I'm like, hey, what if, what if, what if? But I mean, that's what I'm paid to do running dealerships. I got to think about what if all the time and I got to think into the future. So it comes easy to me to talk about it and I have my opinions on it, but I could be totally wrong. But you know when you're in a heavy populated city, right? And it's hot in the summer and everybody's running their AC and you just know it's been a heat wave for a couple of days. You know that power failure is coming. You just feel in all your bones, right? Now puts all the charging of all the cars at the same time on it. The only thing I'm going to say this much, and we're not pro or against electrical cars here by all means, because we know it's coming regardless into whatever capacity it is. One thing I tell people all the time is those batteries, when they go, where do those batteries go? Because that's not so, it's, it's tough for the recycling part of it. And I can tell you, there's a lot of people that have had Tesla issues and people search online as far as Tesla batteries go. And even with Tesla in general, I think a lot of manufacturers are really catching up and those Tesla cars that look so futuristic are now starting to get outdated. And, you know, your competition got catch up time. It's going to be very interesting to see where the electrical car market's going in the next five, 10 years at least, because everybody's joining in the game. Uh, I think it's going to be quite exciting because I think competition's good. I think one thing Elon Musk said is I don't want to be the only game in town. I think competition's good for everybody because it makes everybody up their game, so to speak. So, but as far as at the point, are we going to live, you think you and I are going to see the point when there's no gas cars on the road at all? I I don't think so. I don't think so. And I mean, you brought up something there about batteries. Mm -hmm. Uh, I did a a really good course with, uh, with Ford Motor Company recently where we did some electric, um, electric vehicle training for for myself and a lot of my staff and we talked about that because you know that was one of the concerns when you read a lot of the stuff in autoblog and on all these various uh car websites and some tech websites as well they tell you well you know it's these batteries may be more of a problem environmentally uh than people think but um they they addressed that quite well they talked about a lot of the components in there were actually recyclable and i don't remember the exact figure but it was it was well it was over 80 percent 
of really? the actual battery was was recyclable. So that was actually a promising thing to hear. Um, Dave, who is the the owner at Aramwood and, and at our Nissan store uh, as well, he he always says, well, you know what? Uh, maybe that's why uh, that's why uh, Elon Musk has the rockets because he wants to uh, send the send the batteries to the moon. Anything that can't be recycled, right? So <laughs> who knows? Maybe that's what it is. That's what SpaceX is all about, right? That's funny. <laughs> But do I think that that we will um, that we will have a hundred percent of electric cars with you and me in life? No, you will definitely still have uh, gas, diesel, uh, you know, things like tow trucks and things like that. Don't get me wrong; the electric vehicles have way more torque than than the gas vehicles. But the reliability, the ability to continue your business moving forward and turning things a lot faster, we realize time is money, right? Um, heavy trucks pulling pulling loads of, of of food and things like that it becomes a big strain on the batteries unless you have huge batteries and that's going to wear down tires more. Um, it may make accidents more severe if you get hit by a tractor trailer that's weighing more because of the batteries. Like I, I think there's a lot of things that, that have not been thought about. It's very utopian to say, great, that we're going to have this electric world and we're going to be like the Jetsons flying around, right? Uh, but ultimately, there's going to have to be a limit to it because certain things do it better a diesel tractor trailer is probably better than an electric one because of all the things that it does to deliver food and resources and stuff to us it would just do it better than an electric one because you got to carry the weight of the batteries you're gonna be burning through tires look look what happened years ago with tires falling off of trucks and i don't know if you've ever been behind a truck when when the retread blew and it, it throws the tread back at you the extra weight on there is probably something that would be uh, catastrophic right I've been on the highway going quite fast and a tire came off of a car and came rolling at me on the highway. That is scary to say the least. Yes. Yeah, 100%. Not so fun. Again, I, I, don't, I don't want to be gloom and doom, but I, no, you know, no. I want to talk a little bit about possibilities that are, that are, that are it's possible. It, it, could, it could definitely <clears throat> exist. I, I have what I wanted to talk to you about next, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold that for one second and finish this off because you'll see why. And, Finishing it off because, again, I talk about my love of muscle cars and everything. George, where sports cars are going, muscle cars, exotic cars, you know, you hear about the, uh, obviously, the Mustang went to electronic, the Evet is coming, you know, Ferrari, Lamborghini, they're all talking about it. Please tell me that we're still going to have real muscle cars and real V8 engines and the roar. Please tell me that's not going away. So as far as I know, in the conversations that have been, yeah, that have been had, at a lot of the training and meetings that I've been to, there is no plan to get rid of the muscle car and the big block engine, which I think is great because, I mean, look, don't get me wrong, the performance from an electrical vehicle, the electrical vehicles drive really, really well. They're, they're, they're refined. Like the, the Mustang Mach-E is fast. I, I, got, to, I got, the, got to experience the Mustang Mach-E GT. Do we call that it Mach-E? Or Mach-E. M-A-C-H-E. Mach-E. So, I mean, potato, potato, right? I'm from Barbados, so I don't always say things the conventional way. But, um, you know, phenomenal performance. I I was able to take take it on a a little bit of a track that they set up for us uh, when I got to drive it. And the performance is crazy. It is very well refined. You can tell it's a nice vehicle to drive. But I can tell you this. We have a GT350 2017 uh, you know, or 16 that we, that we own. 
and uh, it's something that uh, the owner uses as his summer car. I get to drive it every once in a while. Nothing replaces driving stick and hearing that engine roar the way it does, in my opinion. Like it, it really excites me when I hear it. I get a little upset when I hear Teslas and they have that annoying noise. I get upset because I'm like, you know, there's nothing that can replace a throaty V8 engine sound, in my opinion. When a Toyota hybrid or a Toyota electric comes by, my, I feel like I'm in Star Trek and I feel like another warp is going to open up. And I'm like, what's that noise? And I'm like, oh, all right. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, but Dodge, I think, has said that with their uh, Hemis, I think they're done. I think Stellantis, Stellantis, whatever the hell they're called, they are going to be finishing off with the Challengers and Chargers, and they're going fully electric. I don't know if they're going to keep their word or not, but George, they keep producing them and they keep selling them. So I don't understand it personally. Yeah, do. I mean, listen, the, the 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 Hemis and stuff like that, especially in the in the in the Challengers and Chargers and stuff like that, and you get a you know you get a an, an RT version of their of their vehicles, they have a bit of a cult following. Right, just a bit. Um, yeah, so so I think people would be really upset if they took a lot of those vehicles off the road. In in my opinion, it would be the same thing if you remove the Mustang. Like I know there you got you have people that are split. They don't like the fact that they call it a Mustang Mach E. They're like it should not be even associated with a Mustang because the Mustang is so iconic. And I understand that, but I understand marketing and I understand why the manufacturer did that so they could compete in a big way with Tesla. Right, so I understand both sides of the coin, but if people if they were to remove uh, Mustang GT, the engine, the displacement, the the way the vehicle performs, you're gonna have a lot of angry people because there's an allure to having it, right? I know many times I drive a Mustang, and the amount of comments that you get, wow, nice car, nice car, nice car. There is an allure to owning one or driving one. That GT is something that although you can get great performance out of a V6 EcoBoost, it is still not the same. It's a different feeling. And if they're going to go all electric for, for Dodge, you know what? My condolences to them because they're going to they're kill a lot of their following that they have because they're clubs. There are people that collect them. Um, you know, they're, they're nice engines, good straight, straight line cars. Um, and and they'll have a lot of upset people if they go down that road. I think they're only a year or two away from what they're claiming, but we'll, time will tell, or they're going to keep extending and extending it. But correct me if I'm wrong, George, but somebody who's a Mustang addict, when they're going to go choose to drive a truck, aren't they probably going to drive a Ford as well? Usually you stay in the same genre when you're in that. Particular- I, 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 would, I would think so. I would think mm-hmm. so. And I mean, Ford has the five liter engines in, in the trucks. Mm-hmm. They're tuned to sound really good. Um, Ford performance still does things like uh, superchargers and exhaust and things like that, that we put in trucks here sometimes. And it gives you just as much of a thrill as if you owned a Mustang that was souped up. So yes, I would say that they do keep in, in, in the lane because you know, that that Ford, that Ford is, uh, Ford has done a good job with your Mustang. They're going to do a good job with the trucks and they're really known for their trucks. You know, you're talking, I believe it's 54 years. Of, of truck leadership and it's they're hoping for 55 if i'm going from memory i could be wrong but uh that's a long time to be a leader right well let's we know trucks ain't going anywhere good to know the sports cars are going to be here 
are we officially, can we put the nail in the coffin on sedans? Are we done with sedans? Because it feels like between all the SUVs, crossovers, and whatever you want to call them, that everybody's getting out of the sedan business. Yeah, you'd, you'd think so, right? Um, but I'll give you a, a, a personal experience. This is part of the reason why we acquired the Nissan store, because Nissan produces sedans. They have planned to continue to produce sedans based on the information that I've seen at the meetings that we've been to. And it comes down to maybe not a comfort level, because the reason why a lot of people are doing SUVs, they figure they're safer, they're a little bit higher off the ground, you can see better. But what has been happening in the car market today is that the value of those SUVs and trucks that are a little bit more popular today have been increasing steadily in price. So it's becoming unreachable to a large portion of the population where the sedan can still come in relatively inexpensive compared to those other models and you're still going to have a market for it. So a Nissan Kicks and a Nissan Sentra, we're still selling lots of them because the next nearest alternative in a small SUV is two to $300 more a month. So it comes down to affordability. Now, they have done a better job of making them more refined, feeling better, more technology features in there, more safety features in there. So I think that there will still be a market for sedans. It will be lesser of the market, but you're still going to have people who will want that because it's within their snack bracket. And you still need that for diversification because as a manufacturer, you don't want to get to the point where you've become a luxury brand and it costs you market share. You got to be very, very careful. Right. And, br and branding is what I wanted to talk to you about next. That's what I've been saving for the rainy days. So let's go into branding, shall we? Because you got Ford and they were always known with the luxury brand of Lincoln, right? And you have GM and they had Cadillac. And then uh, Honda came up with Acura. Nissan has Infiniti, Toyota, Lexus. So the hot rumors going around, and please help me steer my direction, that apparently that Chevrolet is looking at branching off Corvette. The Corvette will be its own brand. We'll no longer be having the Chevrolet badging. They're going to make a sedan. They're going to make an SUV. They're going to copy Ford with the Mach-E. And similarly, Ford will do the same thing with the Mustang. Eventually, Mustang will be its own brand as well. What are your thoughts on the branding? I think it's, I personally, I think it's genius. I think it's great to take that, create its own allure, because I think you're bringing more to the respectability as far as now, not going to say Porsche and Lambo, but it definitely elevates its game. So I've heard the rumors as well, too. Mm -hmm. um, I just think it, it's a little bit, you got to be a little bit cautious, because, for example, if you're a Lincoln dealer for Ford, which we're, we're not, you have to have a separate showroom for it. Right. So it adds more expense to the dealer. So it all depends on how the manufacturer sets the parameters for a dealer to become a Corvette dealer, for example. Because if you are required to set up a new showroom and spend money and stuff like that on there, it may not take as well. However, when you look at Ford and what they've done with the Raptor brand, they've done a really good job because they've Raptorized everything. So you can get a Raptor Bronco you are going to get a Raptor Ranger. There's a Raptor F-150. So there are lots of things that they've Raptorized, and I've coined that phrase now. I just thought about it. They've Raptorized, and the take and the allure and the demand is there for it because it has a special place. 
Corvette, I'm sure, would probably do quite well if they decided to do performance SUVs and you know performance e cars, and it, it would it would have that allure along the same lines as a Raptor and or a Mustang. But if you were to say, "Great, I'm going to create," uh, you know, a, a, a Cadillac CTS brand or a Cadillac brand only for a certain car, it'll probably fail. But the fact that Corvette and Mustang have such a big following, it's an easy one to market with because you can grow it that way and it'll still have the, the same kind of demand for it, right? You're reading my mind, George, because that's exactly what I was going to bring up. Cadillac, when they came, when GM came to the Cadillac dealers and said, hey, so you're going to become all electric. This is how much it's going to cost you to update your uh, showrooms or we're going to buy out your dealerships. How many Cadillac dealers went away in North America? They said, give me my buyout. I'm not doing it. But the ones that stay, they put the money into it. It'll be interesting where it goes. Where it came up in my mind was the popularity of the Bronco. Everywhere I go still, George, they can't stop talking about the Bronco. Everybody loves the Bronco. Everybody's excited about the Bronco. Are we going ahead with these Bronco-only stores? That's where it's going with the Bronco? There's been no word on that. Mm. Oh, is that, that, is that rumor a rumor? As well too. I've heard that rumor as well, too, about, about Bronco uh, stores. Um, I mean, yes, it's an iconic brand, but... I think it'd be a far stretch to say great that we're going to have a Bronco showroom. Um, you know, the Bronco products doing really well. You have Bronco sport, which is a smaller version. You have the full size Bronco. Um, maybe they'll broncorize some more stuff, but uh, who, who, who knows? Who knows? I think it's a harder stick, brand. Stick with the Raptor rise, George. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't sound as sexy, right? Um, but, but so the Bronco store is actually a rumor. It's not actually, I was I, sure. I've heard it. I have heard it. Um, you know, it, there are lots of rumors that fly around in, in, in the manufacturing business um, these days. Like, you know, one of the rumors was that Ford was going to get away from the dealership model. And, and, and that rumor has been debunked. But I think personally, and I could be wrong, that Ford put that out there as a red herring. Say, hey, you know what? It, it's just something that they do. Like, I remember years ago, we went to a, an event and, and photos were leaked on Autoblog. Of, of some GT500 uh, pictures. And it was a manufacturer that act, actually did it to create the demand. Pretty smart, I think. So who knows? The red herrings in there is to throw off other dealership uh, and other manufacturers so that they don't just don't know what direction uh, Ford is going, right? Or the Trojan horse, so to speak. Sure. But, th but that being said, if you're running a business, you'd, you'd be foolish not to think of every possible scenario. And you're dealing with the dealership level executives, you're going to throw a lot of ideas and decisions around. You're going to have different mock-ups, maybe even create prototypes. The thing is in the internet age, George, they're going to leak. It's not, it's impossible almost to keep anything at bay, but they have to think of everything. So if Buick is going to get rid of the Buick logo and it's just going to be the symbol, that's it. It's a done deal, but maybe it's an idea that was thrown around. I don't know. It's, it's funny how many things we see, but we assume that it, I assumed the Bronco store for sure is going to happen, but I guess guys and girls, you never, ever, ever know. As we're wrapping up today's episode, George, you've given us so much good car information and help steer us in the right direction. Cause again, I go based on a lot of reports and I'm not in the industry and it feels like I am. And I can't always tell what's fact or fiction. Curious about people's buying habits today. And the one I'm really stuck on 
is how people are making their decisions as far as trade-ins go. Are you seeing today in the year 2022 going into 2023, are people hanging on to their cars longer than they used to? Are they trading in quicker, in fact? What are people's habits like, without generalizing, obviously, but where are you seeing the trends? Well, I think for us here at, at Aaronwood, people are trading in their cars more, right? The fact that manufacturers are increasing the technology and the features and options and things like that in the vehicle, people want the new toy, right? When an Apple phone comes out or a new Google Pixel comes out, they got a waiting list for it. It's kind of the same with vehicles. Um, when the 2020 model year switched to 2021, you got the wider screen in, in a lot of the vehicles. People wanted to upgrade to that because they really liked having that upgraded screen, right? When the Explorer went to, to uh, you know, a true, a true four-wheel drive vehicle in the way that it was that it was set up rear-wheel drive, a lot of people wanted to get out of the, you know, the CUV model of it and get into the true four-wheel drive model of it. So people for us right now, the fact that we have such a large factory order database at our Ford store would indicate to me that a lot of people are trading in their vehicles. Um, there's still a market for the used vehicles in, in Canada and uh, more so in the USA because, you know, different events that happen in the US, hurricanes and things like that wiped out a bunch of cars. So there's, there's a big demand for it. Um, used vehicles are a little bit more popular in the US. The fact that their population is 10 times more than ours keeps that demand pretty strong. Um, and obviously the manufacturing on new cars can't keep up and it's a different kind of credit worthiness in, in the United States than it is in Canada. They have varied, uh, you know, credit scores and things like that, that people have to deal with. So used cars are still very popular. So the demand is there. It's great. The tradings are coming to us because, you know, we can sell them here, we can ship them away and, and make sure that, uh, we continue to, uh, prevent the shortage from, uh, happening. Car manufacturers as a whole as well, it seems like back in the day, I can say, and this is like, let's say 80s and 90s, but it felt like generations of certain models stayed consistent for more years. There's very little changes year to year. So there was a life cycle of, let's say, 1998 to 2006. And all they did was they discontinued some colors, added in some colors, maybe raised the emblem, lowered the emblem. Um maybe offered an extra feature here and there, but it feels like now, George, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like they're refreshing the generations a lot quicker. Their options are coming more fast and furious. And it feels like not that your car is obsolete, but you're seeing almost year to year, every two years, it's not just a refresh. It's like, it is really different. Yeah. So that's a purposeful thing for the manufacturers because, um, Previously, it used to be six, seven model years that they would do it. Uh, Ford is committed, and I know Nissan as well, uh, in the meetings I went to, that they, will be that they will be doing full refreshes within four to five model years. However, you have many refreshes done anywhere between 18 months to two, two and a half years, approximately. So, you know, an example is the Sentra just came out in 2020 at Nissan. But for the 2023 model year, there's already a refresh and it looks a little bit different the way the headlights are and different things like that. So it has that refresh to keep the product a little bit more clean, right? Ford is doing the exact same thing. Um, F-150s had a slight refresh in the way that the headlights and taillights looked 
on it. The Explorer, they did the same thing after a full refresh to make sure that they're offering new and innovative things every couple of years or less to make sure they're keeping the interest there. And, I, and to clarify for the viewers out there, and I tell everyone, please hit the subscribe button, notification bell to get new episodes. Tell us about your questions for yourself and for George and myself, and let us know any questions you have about cars, anything you'd like to know, share with us. We'd love to get back to you on it, certainly. But for people to understand, George, big difference in refresh and redesign or overhaul, right? A redesign is basically overhaul. To me, my understanding is a layman kind of understanding of cars is if it's a refresh, it's still on the same platform. It's like you took a, a brush and you kind of just cleaned it up a little bit, like maybe rounded it out a little bit, but it's, it's on the same platform. It's almost the identical vehicle, whereas a redesign is getting rid of it. Let's start from scratch. True or false? You got it. You got it. So, you know, you look at uh, what's coming up for the new Mustang. It looks completely different. Although the pictures you see online, you're like, oh, well, it kind of looks the same. But when you see it in person, because I have seen it in person, there are some vast differences in the way that it that it's uh, that it's been redesigned. The new Super Duty that's coming down the line with new with a new uh, engine displacement, um, best in class towing and torque and stuff like that, complete redesign. So yes, a refresh is, you know, changing the color of your eyeshadow if you wear makeup, right? Putting on some putting on some uh, you know uh, eyelashes and things like that. But the full refresh, they really take a, a full redesign. They really take a, a, a pen to paper and change a lot of things. It may still be on the same platform per se, but the, the actual look itself is vastly different. And they have lots of cues. So it's not one or two. It's a whole bunch of them. And it kind of changes it so you can tell that there's a big difference. And I challenge people, do your homework. It's out there. We're in the internet age. Like you want to buy a 2022 or 2023 model. It's there. Look at the comparisons. You can read five of the leading articles. They'll compare everything for you. Even something like the engine change can be very significant in the horsepower and torque. All of a sudden the, the seats change. They, it can be a refresh, but the seats are all of a sudden vastly more comfortable. The screen is much bigger. There's certain options that are available, not available. Like if you have the exact same cars and one has cooling seats and one has Apple CarPlay and one does not, it's a very different car. If you're climate, it's very, very hot and you want to drive safely. So, and sometimes the price, George, isn't even that much different. You know, if you're buying oh, a car that's 42,000 versus 45,000, yeah. that's a year yeah. newer and has all these options, even mm -hmm. used, you know, when you go to compare used cars, I tell people, no, they're not all born the same. Even if you're buying a car, let's say from 2019 and they think it's the exact same model, look at what options they come. This one might have 10 more options than the other one, and that's where the value's at. So if you're not going to go and buy it brand new from the factory yourself, check all the cars because they're not all born equally. Uh, right. Summing up today, last token, somebody comes to us today, George, and they say, hey, I'm looking to buy a car today. I'm new to the game. I've never bought a car before in my life. I'm really, really scared. Where can we steer them, George? What can we give them a starting point so they don't get so overwhelmed and can have a good direction to go in? Well, I mean, there are lots of message boards out there, forums and things like that. But Reddit? I don't know. I, 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 don't, know about, I don't know about Reddit because there's a lot of things on there that are a little bit off. Uh, however, I mean, a Google search will, will start getting you on your way first. Um, 
you know, reviews are, are great, but sometimes they're very misleading. So, you know, if people are looking to deal with a dealership, say, for example, uh, you look up things like dealer rater, you look up Google, but you got to read the reviews because there's some people that if you look at their reviews, you know, they give a one star to everybody because they just can't keep that person happy. Right. So if you're new to, to getting into cars, reading some of the publications out there, looking at the, at the manufacturer websites, is always good. Some dealership websites are very well detailed. Um, for example, at our stores, we have pictures of our brand new cars in there. We have full window stickers on there so you can see what comes in the vehicle. Transparency is key. If you find a place that does not want to give you information, there is a problem because salespeople and dealerships should be free to give information because that's what allows people to make decisions, right? So that's how I'd start someone. Find the information, go on Google, find people, look for trusted resources. I mean, even ask, even ask your friends who've had a good experience somewhere because you know, that goes a long way. That's how I'm sure you get a lot of, uh, a lot of business uh, at Corman's because of the fact that you've done a good job with someone else. That's how we ended up hiring you because you did a good job with someone else and we liked what you did. And uh, that's how we ended up using you for some of our real estate transactions in the past. And um, that's, that's how it goes. Word of mouth goes a long way. Reputation goes a long way. Uh, having people vouch for you goes a long way. It, 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 it's, it's very simple that way. I can also tell you that the best way for client service to get a client and keep a client and have them happy is when they have a bad experience elsewhere and they can see what the other side looks like and then they really appreciate what they're getting from you. That's when they're loyal. Now I'm going to ask you one really stupid question because I know how I go about car buying but I remember going to, I was just there recently buying a pickleball racket because I love pickleball. And I was looking pickleball, tennis rackets, and they purchased the area right beside them and they built tennis courts because, wow, I'm going to buy a tennis racket. We have some models out there. You should try out the racket before you buy it. What a novel concept, George. Oh, he's disappeared again. There he is. So thinking about it that way, George, I'm going to go, besides the house, the biggest purchase I'm going to make is going to be a car. What a novel idea. Maybe I test drive the car before I buy it. How many people now, you can really see percentage-wise, but like more and more people are buying cars now without even having driven them, right? Oh, yeah, 100%. Now, the thing is, is that we, as I mentioned to you earlier, we sell at least 60% repeat referral here. So, you know, you'd have a person that's coming out of an 18 F-150 and they're going to get a 2022 F-150 and they're like, I know what an F-150 drives like, yes. right? Right. So they're comfortable buying it without that. The way that we set up our website with pictures of the actual vehicles, the colors, the spec sheets, it gives them the information that they need to know if this is a vehicle that suits their necessities or their wants, right? I think it's always very important, no matter what, if it's a, if it's a model year switchover. So when I was selling vehicles, I used to tell people, listen, I know that you were driving your 2011, but I insist on you driving the 2014 just to feel the differences between it. Because who knows if you get into that seat and it doesn't feel as comfortable as the one that you've worn in and it creates a problem for you, right? You got to be comfortable with your purchase. Who knows if the way that they've moved the car around, it's a wider vehicle that makes it harder for, you know, a mother with young kids to reach their kids if something's going on. There are lots of reasons why you need to take the car for a spin, feel it out, right? And see if it's something that works for your lifestyle. Because it's great to buy a Tesla online, but, you know, I've driven a Tesla. I've sat inside a Tesla. They're, they're, they're okay. They're nice vehicles. But 
fit and finish isn't the best, right? You didn't have the opportunity to see it. You just bought it online. Even something silly, George, like I have two different cars. The way my body frame is, the, even with power seat, it may not fit well for me. The steering wheel may not be at the right angle for me. I may have more blind spots in some cars. You won't know that unless you actually sat in it. People, it, that's again about, you're saying about online buying. You know, I, I'm in the watch collecting world as far as like, I, I love talking to, the, to people who collect watches in their world. The one thing that people always have their regrets, they never even bothered putting the watch on their wrist. They just ordered online, said it looks really great in online on the pictures, figured it work for me. The simplest thing is to go and try it on your wrist and saying, hey, does this actually look good on me? Does it fit me? People laugh at me when I'm in a store, but I take pictures of the watch on my wrist because I want to see. It's one thing when you look at it, a picture tells you a thousand you know, words otherwise. Even something silly like I would tell people, you live in a condo, you live in a townhouse, you're concerned about driving your car, parking your car, you take it for a test drive, see if it fits in your driveway, see if it fits in your garage. I've heard of people, I bought the car, it doesn't fit in my garage. Did you even bring the car on a test drive? No, I didn't think about that. There's so many little things that people don't think about, George. Yeah, you're, you're right, 100%. Uh, what we do here at Aramwood, because of the fact that you know, we don't have a lot of stock and that's just where it is. And we do it at, at Direct Nissan as well, is uh, we have something we call the mannequins, right? So the mannequins are basically test drive vehicles that we have plated for customers to drive to experience what their order is going to feel like. So we got an F-150, we have a Lightning, we have a, a, a Maverick, we have a Bronco, right? Over at, over at Nissan, we have a Pathfinder, a Rogue, a Sentra. So we have the models there so that people can feel what it's going to feel like driving that vehicle because we're in a system right now where we have to order and it's going to take a while. So we try to make it a little bit easier for them to understand what the experience is going to be like driving the vehicle so confidently they can place the order. It's a little bit harder when you don't have that experience. Yeah, and that's where try it, see. You can see in the magazine all you want online. But guess what? You get three different car manufacturers. They are different cars. They're very different feels. And there's a reason why each one is unique and find which one is best for you. That's what I would tell new car buyers. George Hill, you are a man that wears many hats, very busy. You took the time today out of your schedule for us, sharing your car wisdom. In an evening like this, could have been home with your family, could have been jet flying around the world. We really appreciate your time, honestly, and your wisdom on The Chosen Life here. And uh, looking forward to having you back soon because 2023 will be here before we know it. And I'm sure there'll be a lot of car news and we got to discuss it. Cool. Well, thank you for having me. I uh, always have a good conversation with you whenever we get together. And uh, it's always something that we learn from each other when we do this. So I always appreciate your knowledge and experience as well. So it's great when, when the teacher is the student and the student is the teacher. So That's right. As we sign off, you know, we bring out the guns. And we say... Your guns are bigger than mine right now. That's what she, keep living the chosen life. Keep living the chosen life.